secrecy after promising to help keep them from being arrested and run away. That was the plan. Plan B was, well, there wasn't a plan B. He went straight to their room after flashing his badge to a reluctant desk clerk who didn't seem to want to violate the hotel's policy of getting out room numbers, even to a cop in plain clothes, holding a badge out in his face. He found the room at the end of the long hallway. The last room on the right ended this particular part of his plan. Behind that door was the beginning of the possibility to advance his career beyond any point he could have ever have imagined. Put his ear to the door. There was a definite sound of crying. It was a whimpering sound like a child who had cried so hard they were heaving and having a hard time. Catching their breath was hard, rapid, heaving breath, followed by a girl crying. McKnight knocked on the door. There was a rustling of movement that couldn't exactly be pinpointed except for the movement of feet across the floor. McKnight knocked again. Go away, came a voice from between sobs. Debbie, it's Mike McKnight. There was an immediate silence. Who? She sounded as if she were begging. Mike McKnight. He could hear her feet moving toward the door, then saw the peephole darken as she looked through. Why are you here? she asked. She was still sobbing. I need to talk to you and Nathan. I'm afraid you're in danger. It's Marshall, Debbie. I think he may know where you are. Please, open the door. The door was slightly cracked open. Debbie's tears soaked face appeared. She said in a soft voice, Are you okay? McDonald was trying to look inside the room. No, replied. She pushed the door open so that McDonald could enter the room. Then fell to the floor with the thud. Her body curled into a needle position, and her hands clutched her lower stomach. What is it? What's wrong? The baby, she said, something's wrong. She was showing obvious signs of pain. Her face was starting to reflect that. She was experiencing pain like she'd never felt before. Debbie, what baby? Are you pregnant? Help me, she managed. The tears had started flowing again. Something's wrong. Come on, I'll get you to the hospital. It's going to be okay. He reached out to help her up, but she was dead weight. Her pain wasn't allowing her to leave her fetal position or let her let go of her stomach. Stomach. 
He slowly walked her to the elevator, then to his car. There had been a blue hospital next exit sign he had passed a few miles before exiting the freeway. He figured he would simply keep his eyes open and find it, drop Debbie off, then get on with his business. Then it dawned on him, where's Nathan? Once he got Debbie into the car, he started back down the freeway in the other direction. He began to quiz her. I know you're in a lot of pain, Debbie, but I need to ask you some questions, he told her. Where's Nathan? Marshall was all she was able to get out. Is he here in Chicago? Yes, she said. He's got Nathan? asked McKnight. Yes, she said. He's crazy, she continued. He reached inside the room and grabbed Nathan. Where are they? McKnight was excited. This supported his theory that he had had and gave him confidence that he was on the right track. I don't know. Oh, it hurts, she said. Hang in there, kid, said McKnight, as he searched desperately for the hospital while trying to keep from sounding too alarmed at Debbie's increased pain. It didn't take much longer for him to find it. The big red and white emergency room sign was easy to locate, and he pulled in front of an automatic sliding glass door that visibly opened into a ward of people wearing green scrubs and scurrying around in all sorts of directions. He killed the engine and rushed around to the passenger side, where Debbie sat doubled over. By the time he'd gotten her out of the car, Two women dressed in scrubs had made it out to assist him. One immediately took hold of Debbie. The other stepped in front of him to declare that he'd have to move his car immediately. He began to do so as asked, and that's when he first realized how serious Debbie's situation was. When he went to shut the door on the passenger side, he noticed that the gray cloth seat of his rental car was spotted with blood. Debbie had bled through her jeans. He whipped his car into a visiting parking spot and jogged back toward the sliding glass doors of the emergency room. They had already taken Debbie into the treatment area. He approached a heavy-set woman with long red nails and short black hair that made her face look much too round, sitting at a big round desk that faced the waiting area. Debbie, uh, is she, but before he finished, she interrupted him with an extremely harsh tone of voice. What is your relation, please? Well, we, I guess you could say we're friends. You're not her father. The tone went even more sour. No. You do realize the situation. Then it did the lady was insinuating that he might be the father of the child. He reached into his back pocket and pulled his folding wallet out, opened it to reveal his badge, and laid it on the desk in front of her. Yes, I realized the situation. Now, do you realize the situation? He asked. Is this supposed to impress me? Well, I'm not impressed. 
unless you can produce some information that shows you're a blood relative or you have a warrant, I don't have to tell you anything. I need to talk to this girl. It's very, very important. I'm afraid that's going to be impossible. I brought her here, said McKnight. The lady leaned forward so that she wouldn't have to speak too loudly. She's had a miscarriage. She's been taken to surgery. She then leaned back into her original position. That's really all I can tell you, sir. McKnight snatched his badge off the desk. No need to thank the lady. She hadn't done anything for him. Now what, he said out loud as he headed back toward the car. There wasn't going to be any talking to Debbie anytime soon. Besides, she didn't know where Nathan and Marshall were anyway. Chicago was like a haystack, and Nathan and Miller were something less than a needle. Without a starting point, or at least something to go on, there was no way to find them. He considered the possibility of looking for them with the help of the Chicago Police Department and quickly dismissed that as a bad idea. He would probably get some help, but the chances of them notifying his bosses back at home were just too great. His plan was dead in the water. Then it dawned on him. Marshall would eventually have to come back to the hotel. As far as he knew, Debbie was there. After all, that was what he was there for. He'd eventually be back for Debbie. It was something to give him at least a little hope. So he pointed his car back in the direction of the hotel. He made the trip in no time and positioned his car in a spot that gave him a clear view of both the front entrance and the side. McKnight had only been gone less than an hour. It was unlikely that he missed Marshall's return to pick up Debbie. What he really needed was to be inside the room. Wouldn't that be a great surprise for the creep to be sitting there waiting for him? This would have to do though. It would be way too risky to get caught trying to break into a hotel room. No, he figured he'd better stay put. The Chicago night was cold and damp. It was unusually so for late in the season. A light mist of rain continually drizzled onto the windshield, requiring a burst of the wiper blades every 30 seconds or so to keep his line of vision clear. Marshall had to come back for Debbie. He just had to. None of this would make any sense unless he did. As the hour grew later and the drizzle returned to rain, McKnight began to question himself. Could it be that he was wrong? Where was Marshall? He tried to work through his mind the possibilities of what Marshall wanted with Nathan. Where he possibly could have taken Nathan was equally as much a mystery. Nathan played some role in his twisted plans, but exactly what that role was had just not been revealed. Then there was the possibility that Marshall just needed Nathan out of the way. After all, he'd killed before. But all of these thoughts had run through his mind before, spent the time rehashing old ideas and theories. None of that did much good. What he needed was Marshall. He got his wish, too. 
car pulled into the parking lot suspiciously slow. Night ducked from being detected, but kept his eyes locked on the slow moving car. The car pulled into the last available space. The headlights and tail lights went out, and the driver's side door opened. Marshall got out. There he was, a creepy cell. He gently shut the car's door. The night prepared to follow him to the hotel. As he did, he murmured out loud. Nathan, but the question answered itself. He knew where Nathan was. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Darkest, Darker, Dark. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.